If I told you there was something simple you could do that would improve your child's mood, sleep, general well-being, and executive functioning, you would probably do it, right? Well, in today's episode, I'm interviewing Alana Robinson of Uncommon Sense Parenting, and we're talking about how unstructured outdoor play can do all of that and then some. Stay tuned. Parenting, it's the hardest job we'll ever do. Most of us are tired, stressed, and counting the minutes until bedtime. But what if raising kids could feel just a little lighter? I'm Dr. Hillary, a licensed psychologist and mama of three, and you're listening to the Raised Resilient Podcast, where each week we tackle tough parenting topics, and I help decode behavior and empower you with tools and strategies so that even the hardest moments make more sense. Because parenting is hard, no matter how you do it. But I can help you go from barely surviving to parenting in a way that feels good for you and your child. So warm up your coffee and grab your earbuds. It's time to raise resilient kids. Hey friends, welcome back to Raised Resilient. I'm your host, Dr. Hillary, and I am so glad you're here. I'm talking in today's episode with Alana Robinson of Uncommon Sense Parenting. Alana is a registered early childhood educator and developmental specialist, and she's passionate about helping parents build more unstructured outdoor play into their children's daily routines. She's also a mom of two young boys and the host of the Mudroom podcast. I am so excited to share today's episode with you because I love this topic so much, and I think you're going to get so much out of listening to this episode. I've actually been sitting on this episode since October of 2022, which yes, I know that's a little bit ridiculous, but anyway, you'll hear me talk in the episode about how even at that time, we were letting our boys have lots of unstructured outdoor playtime in the backyard. But since that time, we actually got the boys gizmo watches for Christmas of 2022. And I don't know if you've heard of those, but they are watches that have phone capabilities. So they can call us, they can text us, and they also have built-in GPS. So we know where the kids are when we log into the gizmo app and we can actually set parameters so that we can tell them how far they can go. And if they go outside of those parameters, we will get an alert. Plus there's no internet or social media or any of the other more risky things that come with having an actual phone. So this really cool technology, and it has opened up a whole new world for my kids. We have woods behind our house, and there's a walking trail and all of these mountain bike trails and a creek, and there's actually trails that go from our backyard down the hill to the walking trail. And so as long as the boys ask permission and then wear their watches, we've become comfortable with them going down that trail and down to the walking trail and the creek to explore, and it has been amazing for them. They have spent hours outside observing nature, catching tadpoles and toads, getting fresh air, and just being outside. And it has been so wonderful for them. Now, if you are listening to this and thinking, I could never, I totally hear you. And Alana and I talk a lot in this episode about the safety considerations, risk mitigation, and how to know how much freedom your child is ready for. My goal for you listening to this episode is that you will walk away feeling confident to start building more unstructured outdoor play into your child's daily routine, no matter how old they are, like even if you have a baby or a toddler. And that is so exciting. So without further Further ado, here is my conversation with Alana. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. In your opinion, because I know you're really big on outdoor play and I share that passion with you. I just, I can see when I, when my kids go outside, like their whole bodies relax. But what would you say are the biggest benefits to outdoor play and how does it support healthy child development? So my big thing about outdoor play is that literally every single executive functioning skill that we have gets worked by 
unstructured outdoor play, right? They have to plan and prioritize. They have to problem solve. They have to organize all of their stuff and their thoughts. They have to self-monitor. They have to think flexibly. They have to use their working memory and they have to control their impulses. And then often, especially if there's more than one child playing, there's a lot of emotional control involved. So it's one of the most passive ways that we can promote our children using these skills that are so necessary to them being able to function on a day-to-day basis. And on top of that, it gives them this great secure attachment to us. It allows them to explore and to feel more secure in their environment. If parents are looking for a quick fix, I'm like, the quick fix is to send your kid outside. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's so true. I mean, it really is. So when we talk about unstructured outdoor play, what would you say constitutes unstructured outdoor play versus like, what's not? Like, what would constitute more of a structured situation. So structured is when a parent like sets out an activity or even a toy and is like, you are going to do this. You are going to finger paint outside. Here's a mud kitchen. You are going to play with the (laughs) mud kitchen. Um, Here's even, you know, you string up a zip line. You are going to play on the zip line, right? They're activities and we expect the child to stick with that activity until it reaches completion and they move on to something else. Unstructured is allowing your kids to just figure out what they're going to do on their own. We're not involved. Now, unstructured doesn't mean there aren't any boundaries. You can absolutely set like where your children can and cannot go. There can be rules. Like I have this big, beautiful 90 foot oak tree right outside my window here. And one of our rules is that my youngest cannot climb the oak tree unless there is an adult outside because he's got stuck up there a few times. (laughs) That's a good rule. um, So it's like, right, like you cannot, you cannot climb things that you cannot get down from unless there is an adult present. And so you can have those boundaries, but those boundaries are more like the edges of a pool that they can operate within versus here is the activity and this is what you are going to do. That is such a great response because I feel like there are so many times that we as parents, we set up something. We think this is going to be so engaging. Like, you know, I know I got my toddler a water table and she went outside and she was like, this is so great. And then five minutes later, she's like, now I'm going to explore the yard. Right. And I think if we have the mindset that they're going to explore, they're going to wander around and like be interested in the bird over here or the sand over here or the mulch that they're not supposed to dig in. Right. Versus going and being like, this is what you're going to do and expecting that. Yeah. There's a product versus a process, right? Unstructured is about the process structured is about the product. That makes a lot of sense. So we talked about secure attachment. I know we talked about that a little bit before we started recording. And then just now you were talking about how it does. It helps build a secure attachment when we let our kids explore. We think of attachment as like that connection and that closeness. But, and this is why I love the circle of security model. I talk about that a lot on this podcast, but the idea that half of that circle is letting our kids go out and explore. You mentioned that outdoor play, unstructured outdoor play specifically supports that healthy attachment. So can you say a little bit more about that? So I work mainly with little ones, two to six years old. And I often call this like the satellite stage. You're the mothership and there are little satellites and they go out and they explore and then they come back to us to dock and recharge. And that's a healthy process going out, exploring, coming back and recharging. And parents often seem to have this kind of warped idea where if your child has a healthy attachment to you, that means that they are physically attached to you or physically close to you at all times. And that's not the case. Our children, in order to have a true healthy attachment, they also need to feel safe in the concept that they do not need to be physically close to us in order to be connected to us. And we are not going to put them in a situation where they are unsafe. And when we act as though an environment is unsafe when it actually isn't, that actually breeds an avoidant attachment. 
attachment or an insecure attachment, right? Yes. We have these natural separations built in. Like every night is a separation and also going to school. And like these things are part of, you're exactly right, like carrying that connection with them, knowing that they are still attached to us, even when they are outside playing unstructured by themselves or when they are at school or when they're in their rooms alone at night. And I said that to my son last night. Actually, he, my eight-year-old had a bad dream and I went in and I talked to him and, you know, we talked about what's going on. I said, it's okay to be scared. I really get that. And then I said, you know, even when you're scared, I would never put you in a situation that is unsafe. So even when you're scared, you are safe in your room and you could just see like his whole body relax. Really, this is what I try to help parents understand about like, you know, being afraid, the fears of the dark, all of these things. Like we can't say there's nothing to be afraid of. We can say, I hear you. That does sound scary. You're imagining a monster. Also, even when you feel that fear, I'm over here and you are safe. I think one of the biggest gifts we can give our children, as I said, like my children are nine and six now. And that feeling of security, that follows them, that starts, it has its roots in that early childhood period. Because you can't have your child be Velcroed to you for six years and then suddenly be like, go feel okay at school. Absolutely. We have to give them the space to sort of make these, you know, goings out on the circle and then the comings back to check in. And I'm big on independent play. I'm sure it sounds like you probably would be as well. Yes, right? And so that's absolutely. something, you know, I, I talk to a lot of parents who are afraid to try independent play because, oh, well, my kid's going to cry when I walk out. And if we give them that space and to sort of validate that, I hear you. And like you can, when your baby is not able to come and get you, give them a minute, let them settle in. Then when they cry for you again, you come back and you check in and then you go back and you put in some laundry or whatever it is, right? And so like in nurturing that and giving our kids that experience, my kids now love to play independently. And that's just been nurtured since they were babies laying on their backs on a blanket, like looking around. Exactly. We work up to it. It's not like one day you open the door and you're like, get out. And then you don't see them for three hours, right? That would be concerning for just about anybody. Right. You work up to it in increments. And as you said, it's easier to start those increments when they're little babies lying on a blanket versus if you have never let your child be alone and you're like, okay, you're going to go play outside in the backyard by yourself for half an hour. And they're like, "Ah, no. Right. They're going to need to come check in with you. And that actually leads beautifully into my next question, which was just, what would you say to a parent who feels best with structured activities and really feels like that's what kids need and struggles with the more open-ended time? And it sounds like part of it is we don't start with these huge unstructured chunks. Exactly. Work up to it. Start by, if you're going to set up an activity, let's say you're going to set up the water table, for instance, send them outside for 15 minutes while you gather the supplies inside. Oh, I love that. And just be like, I'll be out in a few minutes. I need to get the stuff. You go out and I'll be there in a few minutes. You can even use like, I've got visual timers here behind me. You can use a visual timer, even stick it in the window, set it for 15 minutes and be like, when it beeps, I'll be out, right? To give them that predictability. And then the next time you might send them out for 20 minutes before you go outside and then 30 minutes. And before you know it, you've got a whole hour where your child is not expecting you to be their cruise director. And you can take a shower. You can have a cup of coffee. You can read a book. You can work. Which is so important, right? That self-care. And, you know, I finally put a baby gate on our playroom. I had just been avoiding it because I didn't want to put holes in the trim. My daughter is different than her brothers and she is into everything. She is full on all the time. And I just couldn't, she was getting into unsafe situations. So I finally put that baby gate up. I gave her her little yes space. And that girl will play at 19 months for an hour by herself. I go take a shower, I get work done, and she'll call for me. And when she needs me, maybe she needs a diaper change or she just needs to check in. But an hour at 19 months, it's wild. But we've been nurturing this from Jump Street when she was a baby. I mean, she's my third. I am not new at this, right? So, you know, I think that helps. But yeah, so for parents listening who are 
you know, kind of freaked out by this idea, you you start small and you let them check in with you and then meet that need, fill that cup and send them back, right? Exactly. And you can stick your head out. Like you don't have to, as I said, send them out and be like, okay, I'll see you in three hours. Right. You can go out, get your eyes on them, be like, okay, you're over there playing in the sand. Okay, just checking, bye, and go back inside. And you can, you know, if you've got a big picture window, you can sit inside working at your dining room table and be able to watch them out the window. Or you can be outside with them, just not engaged with them. Like when my kids were really little, I was not comfortable. Our house doesn't have any backyard facing windows. And so I was not comfortable with my youngest sending him outside to play solo because I had no way to get a visual on him. So I would send him outside, but then I would go up on our pool deck, which has a lock and a gate on it. And it's separate from the rest of our yard. But I would go with my laptop up there and I would work up on the pool deck so he couldn't access me. But I had a very easy time putting eyes on him when I needed to. So you don't necessarily have to let your child go outside without you. You can also be out there just be engaged in something else and gardening or work or reading a book or whatever. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And and I think that's a really good point too for our parents listening who maybe don't live in a place with a backyard that's conducive, Mm -hmm. right? If you're taking your kids to a park or you live in a city and you're in an apartment, right? And you can't just send them out. Maybe you take them to the park or the playground, but then you are not- sit down. Yeah, you're following their lead. (laughs) They're little, like my 19-month-old also, my boys were very hesitant and just kind of, they would look at the equipment and not touch it. My toddler is, I mean, she's navigating playground equipment made for eight-year-olds. I think there are probably some parents who would be like freaked out by it, but I just, I do follow her on the equipment because some of it's really high up, but I don't touch her. And I just let her, I literally am following her wherever she goes. And so as she gets older, she's not going to need that. She's not going to have the risk of like falling from a 10-foot drop. And I am just able to kind of sit back. So I guess scaffolding, right? We're kind of scaffolding that outdoor experience. Exactly. We're helping them move towards more and more independence. And like I used to work with a little guy who was a newcomer to Canada and he was blind. And so, and he had never been allowed to play independently. And he was on a playground with a whole bunch of other kids in kindergarten. And he couldn't do anything because he had never been given the space to navigate a play structure without somebody constantly touching him. And so literally the first four months of our time together was me taking him to various playgrounds around the city. And we tried to pick ones that weren't super busy at first just to give him more spatial sense, but following him around and letting him just explore and learn how to navigate these play structures. And so by the time he got back to kindergarten, he was then able to deal with all of the competing noise and all of the running kids and everything and actually engage with his peers so that he could be on that play structure. The mommy culture around playgrounds drives me nuts because, you know, you sit down with your phone and it's the first time you've had a moment of quiet in like a day and a half. And everybody's like, oh, she's sitting on her phone when her kids are playing. Where else are you supposed to do that? (laughs) That is the point of the benches. (laughs) I don't think our kids need us to be right there with them. No, especially if they're physically competent. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of like, you know, with my daughter, I'm learning every day how physically competent she is, especially for her age. And so I can back off a little bit more. If you have a child who maybe isn't quite there yet, then you can be close enough for comfort, right? But the difference is that you're not just right there directing the play. Telling them what to do. You know, I tell my kids no about pushing them on the swing all the time, right? We have a little playground where there's a very small track, so I can see them the whole time. But I will walk and get my 
exercise. And they'll say, will you push me? And I'll say, when I'm done with my walk, you're going to have to wait. And they do, they find other things to do. And yes, sometimes they're disappointed. And I say, I get that. I know you're disappointed, but I'm still going to meet my needs here. That's how my oldest learned how to pump his legs on the swing because he was like, (laughs) mommy, mommy, push me, push me. And I was like, mommy's doing work. I'm over here at the picnic table. I've got my laptop out. I'm tethered to my phone. I am talking to clients right now. I cannot come and push you on the swing. I want to swing. Learn to pump your legs. And just because I refuse to compensate for him in that area, he learned how to do it extremely early. So it's, again, we have to look at what are we teaching our children through our actions? What am I allowing them to quote unquote get away with because I'm compensating for them? And therefore, they're not developing skills that they they can develop. Absolutely. Right? I think we don't trust our kids to be Mm. whole people. Yep. From the minute they're born, they are whole people. And a lot of times we're not looking at them through that lens. We're looking at them through this deficit model. And so that's why I love the word scaffolding because we're really just like, help just enough. But like, what can they do on their own? Start the zipper, right? Let them finish it. Just really teaching them that they are competent. And if they want to learn something, that they are capable. Exactly. And they will learn their limits. Like I said, my youngest, he will climb that oak tree and he will get himself stuck. The first time he did it, he panicked because he was up an oak tree with no way to get down. The second time he called down to my oldest and was like, go get mummy in the ladder. (laughs) He knew how he was going to get down. He just didn't have it available to him. Now he comes and says to me, I am going to climb the oak tree. Can you please set up the ladder so I can get down? Oh, I love that. And so he, and that's one of the reasons why you cannot be outside climbing the oak tree without an adult, because I can't get the ladder for you. And I don't completely trust you to navigate the ladder without somebody holding it. And your brother's not big enough to help you with that yet. Right. They move from completely incompetent to competent very quickly, but you've got to give them the space to figure out what skills they need in that situation. So speaking of giving them the space to figure things out, you know, one of the things, so so we do a lot of unstructured outdoor play for my boys. Thankfully, we are privileged in that we have a fenced backyard and I do mm-hmm. feel safe to let them go outside, but they tend to gravitate not towards, you know, the activities that we set out for them, yeah. right? like the sandbox that we built them or, you know, the water table that we have, the sidewalk chalk that they could draw with, which they do sometimes. They've, in fact, I've got some really amazing haunted house pictures on my driveway right now. But they also will do things in a way that I think it's great for creativity, but they're crushing up chalk and mixing it to make a potion yeah. or sometimes like running the water and making trenches through our mulch. And so, you know, I think that was a source of frustration in the beginning mm. for my husband and I, and especially, you know, in those moments when we would go outside thinking, oh, they're just playing in the sandbox. And then they've like gotten into whatever. Yeah. And so how would you recommend parents respond in those moments where, you know, we are giving them that leeway and maybe they've decided to use a material in a way that you would have never imagined and now they're yeah. covered in whatever, you know? Oh, I've had that happen a couple of times. <laughs> so the first thing is like set your environment up for success, right? So those things like if you have a bag of manure that you have been had leaning against your shed for the last year and a half and you don't want your child getting into the bag of manure, take that moment to put the bag of manure inside the shed and lock it. Yeah. Set that up for success. My husband realized this in a very big way when a couple of years ago we had some kids over who were not used to being outside unsupervised. And one of them found some grease that he had outside for setting up our pool. And he literally painted his entire face in this like pool grease. And and then came inside because it started to burn. And so like, I was like, ah, where did you get that? And he was like, by the pool. And then I said to my husband, why was there like a pot of grease out by the pool? And he was like, well, our kids have never gotten into it. It never occurred to me that a child would do that. And I'm like, okay, well, (laughs) 
Yep. We don't leave things outside that we don't want the kids to get into. So right. um, on that level, take a critical look at your space and just figure out what, like, even with the tree, like, you know, you cannot climb that tree without an adult. Just yep. make that a rule. But that's one of the beautiful things about playing outside is there is no rules, right? There's nobody who's going to tell you that you're doing it wrong. That stick right. that you found could be a magic wand. It could be a broomstick. It could be a sword. It can be a flagpole. And nobody's going to tell you, oh, well, that's not a flagpole because it's a stick. Right. And there's no wrong way to use the stick except maybe whipping someone across the face with it. Right. That's why we're sending them outside is for them to take these materials that are completely useless and use their imagination to turn it into whatever it is they need to play out their narrative to process whatever it is that they're trying to process. Yeah. If you go outside and you're like, oh, shoot, you dug a whole trench in the mulch. Didn't anticipate that. A for creativity. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're going to fill this back in and then we're going to set some rules around not digging in mom's garden, for instance. And I always try, like, when I send my children into a new environment, that critical look happens and then I give them the expectations beforehand. Because your children can't be expected to know what the rules are and aren't if you've never actually told them what the rules are and aren't. Right. So you cannot climb the oak tree without an adult present. You cannot climb over the fence and go hang out in the neighbor's yard. <laughs> right. Yeah, so you cannot dig in mom's garden. You cannot go into the pool if you've got a pool, and hopefully your pool is actually physically separated off from the rest of your yard, but if it's not, then that's a hard line too. So giving those expectations ahead of time so that there's no, oh, well, you didn't say I couldn't. Right. (laughs) For those unexpected things, then handling it in the way that we would anything that, you know, we walk in and our kids have done like, oh, I see you got into this. And like you said, like, wow, that's really creative. Also, next time we're not going to do this. It's going to happen, right? And that's one of the risks of sending our children outside or the illusion of risk of sending our children outside. And I think that's one of the big benefits is, as you said, because they're unsupervised or they feel unsupervised, there is that illusion of risk and that illusion of I can try new things. I can extend myself and do something that I otherwise would not (laughs) because... I'm in an environment where there's very little margin for error. Right. There's tons of margin for error outside. Right. And some of the things that we freak out about, like, I know I was like, ah, when they had crushed all of our sidewalk chalk and then mixed it with seltzers from the outdoor fridge. And they were like, (laughs) oh, potion time. But there's nothing inherently wrong with that, right? And I think that's what we have to wrap our heads around, that, like, they're not destroying property. They are literally making a potion, which is, like, how fun for kids. And, and, like, sidewalk chalk makes it colorful. And, like, these are not problems. It's just that from our adult mindset, we're thinking, like, don't make a mess. Keep everything clean. You know, like, play with the toys just so. And that's not how kids' brains work. They are creative. They are learning by every interaction with their environment. Yes. And, right, there's that. Is Was it Is it wrong or was it unexpected? That's what I'm always saying to parents. Is this actually a problem? Are they hurting people or property? To quote Heather Schumacher. (laughs) Are they hurting people or property? If the answer is no, then it was just unexpected. And you can then move it into the territory of expected by putting boundaries and expectations around it. Yes. If there's genuinely a safety concern, that that's something that should have been addressed before you even went out. Right. And I think there's probably times when parents will figure out things were safety concerns that you might not have even, like the tree is a good example that if your Mm -hmm. child had never climbed a tree before, you might not even think he's going to think to climb this tree, right? But then the first time he does... That becomes an expectation. Exactly. And like when I first moved into this neighborhood, I have some neighbors across the street who were very, very nervous because I don't fence my children into my backyard anymore. They're 
old enough now that I'm like, mm, don't run in the road. Yep. And to get, help them get to that point, we don't have a fence in the front. So I got some gas line marking spray paint and I spray painted it down the middle of our ditch. And I was like, we don't cross orange lines. It's just a rule. We don't cross orange lines. Instead of just saying, don't run into the road. Yep. Because the road, especially here when we're rural, it goes from grass to gravel to road. And there's very little, it's all mixed together. It's very fuzzy line. Right. Where's that line? <laughs> exactly. And before they know it, you know, I was on the gravel and now I'm on the pavement. And oh, how did that happen? So by putting a visual boundary where I was like, okay, you're still got a good 10 feet before you hit road, but we don't cross orange lines. And now I can, we can go just about anywhere. I'll put like electrical tape in my purse that's orange. And so I can, wherever we are, I can put down a piece of tape and be like, we don't cross orange lines. Oh, that's a great idea. That's an easy thing to carry. Exactly. And it makes it very easy to set boundaries with them. And I mean, orange is used for caution everywhere. So it's very easy if we're at like a new park or something and there's something that's taped off with orange tape where I go, we don't cross orange lines. And so giving them that physical visual boundary so that they can see where their limits are even if you don't have something like a fence that you can put up just so that that's a great idea you're not asking them to make judgment calls on what is safe and what isn't that's a great idea giving them that visual boundary so that they can really see, okay, this is where my line is. I like that. If you're a family that doesn't have a yard and that is using public outdoor spaces for this kind of play, I always take my children when we go to a new park and we walk the perimeter. And so I'll be like, you're allowed here, you're not allowed there. You're allowed here, you're not allowed there. And they walk with me all the way around the park so that I can see if there's any exits that I didn't notice when we first walked in. I can know to be like, hey, there's poison ivy there. I don't recommend you step in there and point out those hazards. And usually there's a tree line or there's grass that goes to weed or whatever that they can follow and they can see this is allowed, this is not. And so even if you can't like whip out the spray paint and start spray painting a line, there's usually a visual boundary. And as long as we start teaching our children to look for those, they will start looking for them everywhere. Yeah. I love that. So another question that I had was around kind of the logistics, Mm. right? Of letting kids go outside. So part of that is the safety and the barriers. And you just really addressed that really nicely, I think. And of course, for younger kids, they might need a little more direct supervision if you don't have a fence, for example, right? But, you know, I think just giving them that visual boundary. But then there's other barriers like weather, Mm -hmm. right? And I know that my kids are Montessori-grown kiddos, so they love to put on their rain boots and their jackets, and they go out in all weather. And so that's kind of the concept that's taught in Montessori is you dress for the weather. But what would you say to parents who are worried about the logistics of letting kids be outside in different environments? So first, figure out what is actually safe. Like, I live in northern Canada. Canada, and so it gets down to minus 40 degrees relatively frequently here. But if my children didn't go outside in the cold, they would never be outside for about 10 months of the year, right? Because it's October right now in the next couple of weeks we're going to get a dump of four feet of snow and it'll just be that way until June. So they need to be able to play outside when it's not, you know, sunny and warm. So look at what the actual danger is. In my case, it would be extreme cold and get them gear that allows them to go outside. Like you said, your kids love their rain boots and their rain jackets. So my kids have rain boots, rain jackets. They have a light snowsuit and they have a heavy snowsuit so that if it's just mildly cold, they can go out and play and not overheat. But if it's deep cold, they can also go outside and play without being frozen little popsicles. Now, are they going to go outside and play at minus 40 for an hour and a half? 
No, we're going to put Vaseline on the cheeks and they might be outside for 10 minutes, but that's better than not being outside at all. And when it's warmer than that, then, you know, they still are able to go outside because they have the gear for the extreme cold. I love that. So looking again, it's preparing the environment. Basically, it's just that your children's environment is their body. And so you want to make sure that you've got whatever you need to protect them from the elements like that so that they can go out and enjoy and explore without being extremely uncomfortable. That would be step one. Step two is making sure that your children know the warning signs of dangerous situations. So your children know that, hey, if it's lightning and it's pouring rain out, that's when you come and knock on the door and say, there's lightning. It's no longer safe for me to be outside. If it's Mm -hmm. extremely cold and the wind kicks up, my boys know that they need to start heading for the front door because it can white out. And even though they're only maybe 10 meters from our front door, if you can't see which way the front door is, that doesn't help you. Right. So we don't want you getting lost and inadvertently wandering into the road. So if the wind kicks up and it's really cold, you need to start moving towards the house so that if it gets really bad, you can get to the house fairly quickly and you know which direction it's in. Right. So teaching our children those conventions, taking that time to prepare them with that knowledge. And I know a lot of parents, most of us spend a lot of time outside as children, but we don't spend a whole lot of time outside as adults, I find, as millennials. So find, you know, there's so many amazing outdoor educators online. And my assistant, Josh, he actually made a whole course for my clients on how to prepare children for playing outside and how to teach them what to do when they get lost and how to teach them survival skills because we didn't, a lot of us didn't learn them. And so it's uncomfortable when we send our children out and we know that they need those skills, but we don't know how to teach them because we never learned them. Right. So if you don't have that knowledge, reach out to somebody who does. Look online. There's so many amazing outdoor educators and give your children those skills so that you're not sending them out blind. Absolutely. So is that an online course? Because I can put the link to that in the show notes for anyone listening who's interested. I think that's really important. So it's interesting because you're in a very different climate than we are. We're in North Carolina in the United States and we get like maybe one snow a year and everyone gets really excited and it's like an inch and it melts before the kids (laughs) even really get to enjoy it. I wish. I've lived up in New England and I've lived in Virginia where we got significant snow. I miss it. But at any rate, my kids, the worry is more when it's really, really hot outside. And yeah. so that's exactly to your point. Like we've taught them how to hydrate and how to know when they are overheated and they need to come in and cool down. And like we keep popsicles outside in the freezer so they can grab to some. water. And yep. yeah, it's the same concept. It's just different extremes. Absolutely. And people need to know how to prepare their kids for the environment where they are. It's funny because I talk a lot about, you know, like letting kids, I don't ever force my kids to wear a coat to school because I get that luxury because in North Carolina, it's like literally never unsafe. So I always send my kids out on the porch and I'm like, go out, stand there for a few minutes and decide what you want to wear. And, you know, sometimes they'll choose to wear a hoodie when I wouldn't choose that myself because I'm like, that is too too hot for today. But then there's other times where they'll choose not to wear a jacket and they're fine. But when you live in Canada and it's negative, 40. But the same principle applies, right? When it's minus 10, if I let my child walk outside without a jacket and he's like, I don't want to wear a jacket. Okay, cool. I'm going to put it in your backpack just in case you change your mind. And nine times out of 10, he's got his jacket on by the time he gets on the bus. Because he knows, right? He's tuned into his body. He's experienced it now. And he was like, hmm, mom was right. They have to experience it. And so like, I have never forced my children to wear a jacket. But if I hold out a jacket and say, here, put this on, you know, they're putting it on because they know that they have the choice. And if I'm recommending they put a jacket on, chances are it's cold enough that they need a jacket. (laughs) Absolutely. And same here. Like if I think it's 
going to be more comfortable for them. I will offer it. I'll put it in their backpack, but they are really good at listening to their bodies and going, yep, I need this. Or you know what? Yeah, I should take this off because I'm getting overheated. So I think that's a really good point, like trusting them. We get to let them figure this out because they are so capable of doing that when we give them the tools, when we give them the information they need. And parents are so scared of their children experiencing discomfort. Yes. Terrified of it. But the thing is, without experiencing discomfort, we can't actually know what comfort really feels like. And it builds that resilience, right? We can experience that we get uncomfortable or we get upset. And it's not this interminable thing that's never going to go away. We have a way back to safety. Yes. Oh my gosh, you're speaking my language. It's the whole name of this podcast, right? Raised Resilient. Because we want our kids to know that they can weather all of their emotions. They can weather exactly. discomfort. Not that everything has to be just so for them to be okay. Exactly. And I think our society, like we are so uncomfortable with emotions. We are all good vibes yes. only and everyone needs to be happy all the time. And I think that goes back to, of course, how we were raised and how our parents were raised. But yeah, I mean, it's not like we're inflicting discomfort on our kids on purpose. No. We are just letting them. They're saying, Experience I don't want to wear it. snow pants. You're going to go outside. You're going to get soaked. You're going to freeze. And you're going to come in and make a different choice because you now know versus exactly. forcing them where they're learning nothing other than that my parent is controlling me. Exactly. And when children experience that discomfort, now, same thing where we were talking, if your child doesn't play outside when they're young or they're not used to not being entertained when they're young and then they get to be six and you're like okay go off to school and they panic it's the same thing with experienced discomfort or experiencing big emotions if we are always taking on that burden for our children and then they experience a big emotion or they experience discomfort somewhere where we aren't immediately available to take it away from them then that's going to feel like a life-ending proposition to them <laughs> Um, that's going to feel like the end of the world. And they're going to react to it in a complete disproportionate way to what the actual stressor is. Absolutely. We build emotion regulation through letting our kids experience their emotions in our safe presence. And similarly, we let them learn how to explore by letting them explore. Exactly. So for our parents listening who are listening and loving this and wanting to build in more outside time with their kids or for their kids, what is one thing they can do literally right now to get that started? Send your kid outside for 10 minutes while you're gathering supplies or just be like, okay, I'm going to send you out. I still got to get my jacket or I need to go to the bathroom. A lot of my clients will say, go out, get them involved in something and then be like, I need to go to the bathroom. You stay here and I'm going to be back in 10 minutes. And you can even, as I said, set a visual timer for them so that they can see what that 10 minutes looks like. Whether or not you go to the bathroom is neither here nor there. You can go and sit inside and stare out the window and twiddle your thumbs for all I care. Right. But <laughs> you just need to separate and your children have to have some idea of what you're doing because often children, especially young children, they get FOMO right? I want to be doing whatever mommy, big brother, daddy is doing. So telling them what you're going to be doing helps them feel more secure because they're like, okay, I know what they're doing and it's boring and I don't want to be doing that too. And it's time limited, right? They're not going to be in the bathroom forever. And it's time limited. They're just going to go to the bathroom and they're going to come back and start with that. Start with 10 minutes going away and then coming back. And then a few minutes later, go away again and come back. A few minutes later, go away and then come back. And if you can do that for an hour, then the next time you can easily push that out to 15 minutes. Right. And just keep working up. Keep moving the goalpost a little bit further away. Before you know it, you're going to have an hour of playtime. Absolutely. Now, I didn't ask this before, but I think just because I'm imagining listeners hearing this and like, I, you know, I have a 19 month old. Is there an age where you would say like you would because I know independent play, I in my daughter's yes space, I would let her play now. But outside by themselves, yeah. is there an age where you feel like it's good to let them start having alone time? It depends on your environment, mostly like for my oldest, we lived in a 
small little postage stamp townhouse that had a very tiny backyard and I had this huge plate glass window in the back of the house so I could be inside, he could be outside and there was really nowhere that he could be outside that I couldn't see. And so at 15 months, I was like, how'd you go? And he was out there for 10, 15 minutes and then I'd come out and be like, hey, what you doing? Oh, you're playing with rocks. Okay, cool, I'll be back. And we did that whole cycle over and over and over. With my youngest, we lived in a different house and there's no rear facing windows in this house. So for him, but I also had an older brother at that yes, point. That <laughs> I had an older difference. sibling to help. So for him, he started doing it at the same time. But as I said, I was up on my pool deck. I wasn't inside the house. So again, take a critical look at your environment. See if there's any dangers that you can mitigate. And then make a judgment call based off of where you are currently comfortable with and what your child has demonstrated that they're capable of. And that might be that, you know, you sit on the deck while they go play. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And when I think about our backyard, like the reason I wouldn't let her out there by herself right now is because we have stairs and we don't have a gate on those stairs. And because the yard is not entirely visible. Because I know if she was in a yes space outside, she would be fine. And she loves to be outside. She'd rather do that than hang out inside any day. So that's a really good point. Like know your environment. Can you supervise them? Do you feel like there's anything? Is it a yes space or do stairs or some other hazard make it not a yes space? Exactly. And do you have older children who can help them navigate that? Like, as I said, with my youngest, he spent a lot more time outside by, by himself, quote unquote, than my oldest did because he had my oldest who would say to him, mm, Owen, not a good choice. <laughs> Let's go do this instead. Mm, no, we're not going to climb under the pool deck. And right, like he had his older brother around to guide him, whereas my oldest did not have that extra child who was outside with him. He was literally alone. That's such a good point, right? Because when my oldest kids are home, I would send her outside with them. Exactly, right? Because you're, you know that they're going to be like, mm, don't go up the stairs or, oh, careful, there's stairs. Let me hold your hand. Yes. Well, thank you so, so much. This has been so much fun. And I will put all those links in the show notes so that everybody can take a look. Thank you so much for having me. I so appreciate you listening and being here. It really means the world to me. And if you are enjoying this podcast, leave a review and share with someone who could use this message. I really and truly believe that this is how we change the world. We spread the word about raising resilient kids, about being cycle breakers. So share this podcast, leave a review, and let's spread the word about raising resilient kids. Until next time, we've got this.